Welcome to a mathematical basis for reality. Bruce, I think you should tell them that Physical Truth is a book on mathematics and philosophy, and that it's a good story. So, Bruce, <laughs> I think that you probably lost a few people, so I think that you should start this chapter by saying, Warning, this is going to get really mathematical so that people can, those who want to, can get their pen and paper and take notes, and those who don't want to can just skip fast forward for the next 15 minutes because <laughs> this is where it gets really crazy. Um, okay, warning, this is really mathematical. It is, I'm reading a mathematics paper and a mathematics derivation which is the solution to Schrodinger's equation. We set, and this is not just a time-ordered uh, Schrodinger's equation, this is the full Schrodinger's equation, um, where the Hamiltonian has been developed. And we separate the variables, and we solve it with characteristic functions. This is exactly what Schrodinger did in his 1935 paper. I'm not doing anything new. Schrodinger did this in 1935 after being shacked up with a couple of ladies in a chalet in the German Alps. Uh, when he published it, Einstein was very enthusiastic and fully supported him in every way possible. And of course, for this, uh, Schrodinger not only made up the differential equation, but he also solved it. And the solutions give the spectral lines of, of hydrogen. I have continued on and also developed um, the Heisenberg uh, uh, the Heisenberg uncertainty principle and Einstein's very famous equation of E equals H nu from this equation. That has not been done before, uh, but it makes total sense. Of course, the boundary conditions of Schrodinger's equation would be Heisenberg, who used to live with Schrodinger. They were very, very good friends at the University of Berlin in 1925. Okay. So that's what you just were talking about? Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's, that's it. Yeah. So you started with Schrodinger's and then you added those other ones to it. Yeah, I found the consequence as soon as you solve Schrodinger's equation. I solved Schrodinger's equation. I said, why has no one done this? Why has no one just, I mean, should be. So I was sitting in a coffee shop and uh, doodling as I do with mathematics things and uh, I wonder if Heisenberg fits this. So I started playing with the exponentials and the solution. Lo and behold, the time-ordered Heisenberg, because it, it uh, fits energy ET equals H, become, drops out immediately. And by the way, it's H, not H-bar, which also follows Heisenberg's paper. If you read Heisenberg's paper, it's not H-bar, it's H. It was born. They kept bringing in H-bar for this thing to try and explain tunneling through probability. To Never explain, sorry? Tunneling. Tunneling through probability. Through, by using probability, by approaching it with probability, I've existed. Um, however, I'm showing it's not H-bar, it's H, and it's the only thing that makes sense. In other words, um, 
delta E delta T equals H, or must be greater than or equal to H, because we're on the outside of the particle looking at it. Boundary conditions of the particle is the energy of the particle times time is equal to H. And it has a cycle, if you like, of existence where um, basically this, this uh, E equals H nu, where nu is the frequency of the, of the cycle of existence, where it comes into existence and goes out. But it doesn't go out of existence. It goes into the imaginary line. So it's on the real line and then becomes imaginary, then real, then imaginary, real, then imaginary, real, then imaginary. Uh, every so, uh, and it goes through this cycle um, uh, new uh, hertz or new cycles per second. We take new cycles per second of existence times the energy of the particle and that's equal to Planck's constant, which is capital H. At the same time, if the particle happens to be trucking along somewhere, this is Demergli. Is it Demergli? Yeah. Yes, the Prince. Um... Uh, no, I'm going to have to find out who that is. I've had a Alzheimer moment. It wasn't Demergli. It was, it may have been Demergli. Anyway, he, he wrote a paper for University of Paris. University of Paris rejected it immediately because it was sort of a very brief paper that said, for his PhD, that said uh, uh, that particles uh, having momentum P would, would uh, also follow, like the electron would be in waves. And the wavelength would be proportional to, if you like, wavelength times uh, xp is equal to h. So, in other words, the wavelength times the momentum of the particle would be equal to uh, Planck's constant, which is h. Uh, they rejected him, and who was it who picked him up? Princeton picked him up. Instantly gave him immediately a professorship, tenure, and everything else. And um, de Broglie, it was de Broglie, not de Broglie, de Broglie. Um, Prince de Broglie uh, ended up at Princeton and he won the Nobel Prize for it and so forth. And that's another case where University of Paris has dropped the ball. But that's what this, uh, and I've, I've, yet yeah, it all makes total sense. So that the world of the quantum is described by Schrodinger's equation. Probably the most important thing Schrodinger said while writing it is that quantum mechanics cannot possibly be described by a physical model. He said, this is a mathematical model. Uh, it can, uh, quantum mechanics can only be described by mathematics and a mathematical model, which is Schrodinger's equation. And we solve this mathematical model without looking for physical interpretation. We just solve Schrodinger's equation and it yields incredibly accurate results that predict and describe physical observation and physical phenomenon. Okay, but a side note here. Where are you getting your information? How do you know that Schrodinger was shocked up with two women on, in the Alps? <laughs> it may have been only one woman. It may have been only one woman. I've heard in one case with Wikipedia, it was one woman, or others, that was two. People like to say it was two because Schrodinger had a bit of a reputation. And, okay, if he's with one woman, uh, looking at Schrodinger's equation and the characteristic functions and the paper and so forth that he wrote, um, a lot of mathematics was done in that cabin. And physical science, physics, owes whoever that woman was 
one hell of a debt of gratitude, like thank you. Schrodinger's equation. Consider any particle with mass m and some potential electrostatic energy v, which obeys the following. I h bar dates i by dt equals minus h bar squared over twice m del squared psi plus v times psi. Equation 6.1 or I h bar dates psi by dt equals minus h bar squared over twice m left a squiggly bracket day squared by day x squared plus day squared by day y squared plus day squared by day z squared right squiggly bracket psi plus v times psi 6.2 let psi equal capital T function of time times capital X function of x times capital y function of y times capital Z function of Z 6.3 where T a function of T is a function of time only X capital X rather uh, of X is a function of X only capital Y of Y is a function of Y only and capital Z of Z is a function of Z only then I H bar day by day T of capital T capital X capital Y capital Z equals minus H bar squared over twice M left squiggly bracket of day squared of T X Y Z all over day X squared where T X Y Z is in capital letters of course plus day squared by day Y squared T X Y Z plus day squared by day z squared txyz right squiggly bracket plus v times capital T capital X capital Y capital Z equation 6.4 under the condition that psi cannot equal zero we can divide through by capital T xyz to yield ih bar capital T prime over capital T equals H minus H bar squared over twice M times capital X double prime over X minus H bar squared over twice M times Y double prime over Y minus H bar squared over twice M Z double bar over Z plus capital V equation 6.5. We can see that each term is linearly independent. Since each term is being varied by its independent variable and all variables are linearly independent from each other, and the constant term is also independent from the others, each term must equal a constant. Because we do not want this solution to blow up, we set the following. I h bar t prime over t equals minus alpha squared 6.6 h bar squared over twice m x double prime over x equals v minus beta squared 6.7 h bar over twice m y double prime over y equals minus gamma squared h bar squared z double prime over twice m z equals minus uh, epsilon squared 
and 6.9, and the equation has been separated. We have placed the constant term with the equation 15, with the equation 15, 17, can't be with 15.17, that is incorrect. We have placed it with equation 6.7, since it has been chosen as a direction of travel of the particle. Psi is argued to be a measurement of the probability of the existence of the particle, which Schrodinger disagreed with rather strongly. We are going to show that a better interpretation of psi is that it is a potential of some form, perhaps the potential of existence. For the time-ordered term, we have capital T, which is a function of time only, equals E raised to the power of I alpha squared T over H bar, that is 6.10, which is an interesting equation. Consider e raised to the power of minus k squared theta, equation 611, and note that if k has any value, then as theta increases, the expression will approach zero. So if alpha is not equal to zero, the time factor of psi will act as a taper and kill the value of psi. Or the particle will evolve out of existence with the passage of time somewhere along the order of h bar. This means the particle is decaying, and all particles obeying this equation will decay and cease to exist. There are alternatives which we will get back to, but for now we'll consider a fundamental principle, which is that existence is conserved. Let us consider the particle as stable and non-decaying. Then, if capital T equals 1, and day psi by day t equals 0, and we're back to the well-known time-independent Schrodinger equation, for capital X, we have X equals cosine, left bracket, square root, 2M, times beta squared minus V, all over H bar, times X, right bracket, 6.12. This, in a way, is similar to a term in the Fourier series. We set capital X in a pi box, and there is footnote number one. Footnote number one, begin footnote. From Fourier series solutions to differential equations, we note that the cosine function is harmonic and repeats when the angle is applied extends from 0 to 2 pi. We consider two boundaries to the spatial region, one at angle 0 and the other at angle 2 pi. For example, consider y equals cos u, the function y repeats, and we consider boundaries of the union of the region rather from u equals 0 to u equals 2 pi. Often we refer to this region as a pi box. This results in footnote, and we consider a slight rewrite as capital X equals the cosine of 2 pi times square root of 2m beta squared minus v n square root all over h bar times x over 2 pi, right bracket ending the cosine, which is 6.13. This results in the boundary condition of the box as capital X equals 1, which occurs when x equals 2 pi h bar all over the square root of twice m, left bracket, beta squared minus v, right bracket, and the square root, uh, equation 6.14, and x times the square root of 2m, left bracket, beta squared minus v, right bracket, and square root equals h, which is 6.15. Since p squared psi equals minus h bar squared day two psi by day x squared, 616, which is the equation for the momentum, p is the momentum of uh, the particle, and psi equals one, we get uh, p squared equal minus h bar squared over day, uh, minus h bar squared day two psi, 
pi to a x squared, 618 at the boundary. And we also have minus h bar squared day to psi over twice m to x squared equals beta squared minus v, yielding, believe it or not, minus h bar squared day to psi by the x squared equals 2m left bracket beta squared minus v right bracket 620 and substitution yields, wait for it, x times the momentum equals h, which is 6.21 at the boundary of the particle. However, the angle in the pi box goes from 0 to 2 pi, and therefore we have a measure of delta x. Because x varies between the boundaries, we have a variable p. We therefore have delta x, delta p equals h, equation 6.22. We would like to mention here that the boundary happens to yield a probability of existence of 1 for the particle. Inside this boundary, the probability of its existence is less than 1. As a matter of fact, at the center of the particle, the probability of existence is negative 1, and this is absurd. In the derivation of a solution, we had said psi cannot equal 0. So we will deny the particle to exist inside the boundary, and for that matter, outside the boundary as well. For this particular solution to stand, the particle only exists where psi equals 1 and does not exist otherwise. We are stating that the particle does not exist when psi is less than 1. This is a different case than determining the position or time of the particle. In this case, we are determining the existence of the particle itself. We are postulating that if the probability of existence of something is less than 1, then it isn't. We are concluding psi cannot be a measure of, prob of probability. It is a potential. When the potential is 1, the particle exists. From these calculations, the particle can only exist at its boundary. From outside the particle, we have delta x, delta p is greater than h, which is equation 6.23. With the time-ordered factor, we have an exponential of i alpha squared t over h bar, and we had set alpha equal to zero. Now let us reconsider alpha. We note the units of measure here. We see that h bar is in units of joule seconds. We see that t is in seconds and will cancel the time unit of h bar, leaving joules in the denominator. Hence, since the potential must be unitless, alpha squared is in units of joules. To continue the discussion, allow alpha squared to be some unknown form of energy in joules. We'll examine what this means as follows. So we'll let capital E, or E, equal to alpha squared. So the exponential of the time-ordered factor becomes I, capital E, T, all over H bar. And we look at the situation where psi equals 1. In other words, the particle definitely exists. We have seen that at the boundary of the box, or from before, the spatial ordered factor is 1. Therefore, the time ordered factor is also 1. This can only occur should the exponent of the time ordered factor be something like 2 pi i, in which case we have i, capital E t, over h bar, equals 2 pi i. Rearranging, capital E t equals 2 pi times h bar, resulting in capital E t equals h, equation 628. 
Here we have time going from zero to some cyclic value yielding an exponent of 2 pi i. We will then denote this as delta t, and delta e is the magnitude of fluctuation of energy. We now have delta e, delta t, is equal to h. And observing from outside the particle in the time dimension, we write delta e, delta t, is greater than h. This happens outside some time-ordered boundary where when the potential of the existence of the particle yields psi equal 1. Combining both time and spatial ordered factors, we have the situation where delta x delta p is greater than or equal to h, and delta t delta e is greater than or equal to h. Let us take a closer look at e, or the energy. The exponent of the time-ordered factor is some sort of phase angle that allows the particle to have a potential of existence equal to 1 at each cycle. Let capital E over h bar t equal theta, some angle, and we differentiate by t on each side to yield. Capital E over h bar equal de theta by de t, or capital E over h bar equals omega, and E equal h bar omega, which is the angular frequency, and capital E equals h nu. In other words, we, result, we, we um, have derived the equation that E equals h nu from Schrodinger's equation. So, this energy E is not a form of energy coming from the mass of the particle or its momentum of motion or even its charge generating V. It appears to be an energy that is associated with a time-ordered frequency of the particle's existence. This energy is not associated with mass or charge. Let us examine alpha further. Alpha equals the square root of 2 pi i h bar over t, n square root, and alpha equals 1 over the square root of 2 times the square root of h over t, n square root, times left bracket 1 plus i, right bracket. And it seems with the presence of 2 pi, uh, sorry, with the presence of the square root of 2, there is some indication of spin involved. Continuing, we see that we can also say that theta sub n is equal to n squared 2 pi i, where n is a member of the natural numbers, whenever psi equals 1. So this potential has been quantized by n squared. This can be compared to an orthogonal set of eigenfunctions yielding a complete solution of psi squared. We now put forward a solution to the paradox of Schrodinger's cat. And there is a footnote number two, uh, foot, begin footnote. There are interesting consequences to the general solution of Schrodinger's equation. I call alpha an eigenvalue and an eigenspace, which I often use to find general solutions. Apparently, minus alpha squared is the energy of a photon. I am proposing that the magnitude of an infinite number of eigenvalues to the general solution of Schrodinger's equation yield the energy values of subatomic particles. The first order temporal eigenvalue yields the energy of a photon. End footnote.
so what chapter is this? This, oh, sorry. This is chapter six, Schrodinger's chapter Equation. Chapter six. Cha so, chapter six, <laughs> yes, Schrodinger's Equation. So, it, if I understand correctly, you have basically spent five chapters up till now preparing yes. for this chapter six. For the consequences of chapter six. So, chapter six is kind of the kernel of this whole thing? Yeah, it's starting to become there because now we have to do the Einstein field equations. Because Schrodinger's equation combines the Einstein field equation. So we get to the world of the very, very, very small. There is a limit as to how small we can go. We go down to the limit of Heisenberg that describes some incredibly small spaces, right? which Schrodinger talked about. Within this world of very, very small, okay, we have a set of eigenvalues in a Fourier expansion that predict accurately the spectral lines of a hydrogen atom and other subatomic and atomic behaviors. That's what I'm going to. Beyond that, once within this world of very small, if we get even smaller, we cannot look there. But we have an equation that will describe what happens in there. And that mathematical solution is through looking at this value called psi, this Greek letter psi, that was this confusing symbol for everyone, and that is a potential. And we can graph potential, we can find out values of the potential, and so forth, on what that potential looks like within the particle, even though it is less than one. But where the particle exists, what I'm saying is the particle is not fuzzy. The particle is crystal clear and is extremely sharply defined exactly at a particular point in space and time that we know of. And it is either there or it's not. It's not like a fuzzy thing that it's about there. It is extremely well defined. And that ties into physical truth. That ties into physical truth because that's what existence is. Physical existence. We're talking about the physical existence of a particle, be it a proton or an electron or a neutron or any other particle. A photon is another particle. fits a photon perfectly. These particles exist because Schrodinger's equation described that they have the potential of existence equal to 1 at the boundary of these particles. Okay. Yeah, it's what existence is. Okay. There you go. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you liked what you heard, you may subscribe in your podcast provider and perhaps share in various social media sites. Bruce has promised he won't change the links anymore and screw up trying to find the next episode. Please enjoy the rest of your day and may everything work out for the best. We try to have a new podcast every Saturday, so see you next week.